0: Blog talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Welcome to our new socialist America. Oh my gosh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, forget that freedom of speech. We don't need it anymore. Okay, today we're going to talk about real health issues like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, causes solutions. And if you get a chance, we're going to get into some of the censorable stuff. Um, Now, please, if you can help support us, go to the DrBVIP.com site, and we're putting all of our our information there. You'll get all the handouts, all the PDFs, because we have got to share this. Censorship is um, rampant, but this is what happens when you you lose your freedoms. Uh, Also, it's going to be streamed on Extreme Health Academy, Dot com. So the Doctor BVIP and the Extreme Health Academy, uh, and tonight's will be on Library TV, Bit Shoot, be on everything. So let's get into this. Your blood has a function. If the blood is not efficient at its job, then you develop certain adaptations. So the, the one of the things, blood supplies oxygen to the tissue, brings nutrients, removes waste products, has immune system functions, uh, has messenger functions where it transports hormones, regulates pH, regulation of core body temperature. Okay, so this is vital. I'm going to show pictures of what normal blood looks, what acutely stressed, and what chronically stressed blood looks like um, because we know that even psychological stress... And all you got to do is just look at what's going on with the world today. Psychological stress increases um, blood lipid levels or fat levels like cholesterol, and it also increases blood viscosity, makes the blood thick. So if you have to pump thick blood through the vein, guess what has to happen? Pressure has to increase. So it looks like blood pressure is not a consistent thing. It's based on your automatic nervous system. That's right. You have an automatic nervous system that increases or decreases your blood pressure based on the rate. Now, we're going to look at physical stress because physical stress literally does put a stressor on the spine. Uh, luckily, there's uh, several journal articles that talk about chiropractic adjustments in blood pressure. Why? Well, because we're altering autonomic function. And it turns out, I mean, this one out of the Journal of Human Hypertension, study way back in 2007, they adjusted one top bone, and they said it's um, it's had similar sustained reductions in blood pressure, similar use of a two drug combination therapy. Interesting. Then there was another article, 1988, that talked about blood pressure and anxiety. Again, again, the chiropractic adjustments. So, what is a normal blood pressure? Well, I mean, if you have, ask like the average Joe, they might say 120 over 80. And you know, where do you get that? Well, it's it's interesting because if you're just saying 120 over 80, um, that there's a joint NASH committee that meets regularly about every 10 years or so to come up with, with what they think is normal. Now in 1997, they thought 120 over 80 was normal. That was changed in 2004 to 115 over 75. And that was changed in 2014 to um, 140 over 90 if you're less than 60, and if you're over 60, it's 150 over 90. And you might say, hey, wait a second. Uh, What are these numbers? Well, then if you look at this article, Journal of the American Medical Association, 2006, they said that patients who had heart failure, if they had higher systolic blood pressure, higher blood pressure, uh, mortality rates were lower on them. That's right, higher blood pressure had lower death rates. Higher blood pressure had lower death rates. And you might think, well, wait a second, why is that? Well, because if the blood's not efficient at doing its job and you're in a stressed state, then pressure has to increase in order to adapt to it. Now, what kind of things can alter blood pressure? Well, the time of the day, a, full, a cold room, a full bladder, um, sitting, standing, all of these can do it. White coat hypertension, anxiety. So I'm going to teach you a different way to check it and a different way to measure it. Okay, what you want to do is measure the pulse pressure. That's the difference between the high number and the low number. High number is called systolic, low number is called diastolic. And incorrectly, a lot of doctors are going to say, well, the high number is the output of the heart, the low, uh, the diastolic is the overall resting pre- um, pressure of the body. That's not really true because your arteries actually help pump the blood through from constriction and dilating or closing and opening. They have a pumping mechanism. So let's look at the difference. Let's take 120 over 80 for an example. If you have a pulse pressure, 120 over 80, the pulse pressure would be the difference, or 40. And that's in the ballpark, normal. Because remember... What raises it? A cold room, full bladder, any kind of stress. Uh, if you have a pulse pressure uh, 120 over 60, that's your. That would be a pulse pressure of 60, which is more than 40. So that means the heart is working, but you're having a lower pressure. So that means blood pressure or the blood isn't efficient at doing its job. Let's say you have less than um, less than 40. So the heart's working really hard and your diastolic, like 120 over 100, that's a stress state. It means that there's physical, chemical, or emotional stress. Now let's say both of them are high, okay, the systolic and diastolic, so you got 180 over 140. That means that there is consistent higher blood pressure, so cleaning the arteries with soluble fibers, that makes a heck of a lot more more sense. Um, and there, there's also, a great way on, on how to check blood pressure. There's a machine called Respirate, okay? and I oh, actually ordered a couple of these a few years ago, where it forces you to sit down and deep breathe for 15 minutes. Now, why is that important? Well, it shows that if you deep breathe, that's right, deep breathe for 15 minutes once a day, it lowers your blood pressure considerably. Uh, we're talking massive from... Uh, you know, 16 points, millimeters of mercury. I mean, you can't even get most drugs to do it like that. And then this is naturally. It actually is is your deep breathing, your blood pressure is going to go down because you're doing the oxygen transfer and you're not stressed. Also, as you age, your blood pressure is going to be um, changing because when you look at the flexibility, like uh, imagine um, a wrestler, and in, in, I'm talking theatrical wrestling where a guy throws himself against, up against the ropes and the spring ability of the ropes throws him back inside of the ring. Kind of what the arteries do. They have a, an elastic layer. So when the pressure goes up, they expand and then they contract and that expansion contraction helps push the blood through. Well, as you age, you have less flexibility of the arteries, so they become stiffer. So this is typical that there's a decrease in diastolic pressure while there's an increase in systolic pressure. So this leads to a widening of the pulse pressure, or the distance between the high and the low. And, and so you really have to look at individual. Uh, now nitric oxide is something produced when you nasal breathe. So diaphragmatic nasal breathing 15 minutes before could reduce your blood pressure and make it work correctly so you're not, you're going to be getting off of the medications. Now, I love Harrison's medical textbook. Now, this was back, you know, you're talking 40 years ago. And uh, I love this. The first principle of the therapy of hypertension is the knowledge of when to treat and when not to treat. Yeah, that's right. So, But that was back when doctors and people um, actually thought critically. And there's no critical thinking in the medical world now. Heck, in any kind of the world now. There's one train of thought. There's no discussion. There's no, there's no um, even appearance of expressing an opinion. No, this is a totalitarian system. Uh, The Journal of the American Medical Association, though, in 2015 uh, came out, again, brilliant article, and it's update on medical practices that should be questioned. Quote, many current practices that seem logical but are without evidence may be reconsidered and incorporated into a less dogmatic and more patient-centered approach to care. Absolutely, I'm in total agreement with that because what does a doctor do when presented with high blood pressure? Well, you can give calcium channel blockers, beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, diuretics, cholesterol drugs, I mean a bunch of different options. Well, American Journal of Cardiology says that calcium channel blockers increase heart failure. Yeah, that's right, that's out of 2010. The beta blockers, um, it's blocking the sympathetic nerve supply to the heart. Okay, so this, this causes premature aging, uh, heart disease, diabetes. The Mr. Fit trial was amazing. And this was a study on diuretics. Now, diuretics cause your kidneys to work really hard and causes your body to lose potassium. Losing potassium is a huge deal. This is why they give you an MK or omega potassium if you're given a diuretic. Now, it can also cause permanent damage to the kidneys. So this is a big deal. But what they found was that the MR-FIT trial, this is the multiple risk factor trial, um, that their goal was to get blood pressure below 140 over 90. What they had was, in, quote, in point of fact, a subset of hypertensive treated with diuretics had the highest mortality rate, probably from ventricular fibrillation due to potassium de- depletion. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Well, plus the University of Alabama um, found out that for every, that your risk of stroke went up by about a third for each blood pressure medication you're taking. And a quote from that study is, quote, you're in as much trouble by the time you're on three medications that achieve excellent control as when you have hypertension that is untreating, which is amazing. And they say relying on solely on this approach is going to come at a dear price of people's lives. Uh, so... Wh- well, where is this going? Okay, so first off, when you look at it, at, the body is self-regulating. And if you are in a stress state, that means the blood's not efficient at doing its job. There is some kind of physical, chemical, or emotional stress. So if you chemically lower that person's blood pressure, you lower it, okay, what's going to happen? Well, the body's going to get it back up there, so it's going to constrict the arteries, just like putting your thumb over a hose. So you take a drug to lower it, whatever it is, ACE inhibitor, calcium channel blocker, beta blocker, they've got a plethora of drugs to do it, okay, or a diuretic. Okay, well, the body's going to respond by constricting the arteries to get it back up. Now, what are some of the other problems? Well, <laughs> let's look at, at what we're um, uh, treating it. Okay, it's called epigenetic control. And this means you're converting or you're altering how your body expresses itself. And I I know it seems odd, but your body is going to express its genes. And and you can either express or suppress your genetic makeup. Your genes are are like a blueprint. So you can either build along one side of the design or build along another side. So it's a blueprint that tells you how to adapt to this environment. So you can sweat, you can shiver, you can, you can build bones, you can thin the bones out, you can increase your oxygen-carrying capacity of the blood, you can decrease the oxygen by changing your, your environmental exposure to carbon dioxide. So there's a lot of different adaptations or expression. Well, medications, and this is out of the Meta- Metabolism Clinical and Experimental Journal. Uh, now, this is about 12 years ago, 2008, they say drugs that are known to cause epigenetic changes are the beta blockers, um, diuretics, cholesterol-lowering drugs, um, anti-inflammatories. All of these things cause your body to change its expression. And the article goes on to state consequences for modern medicine are profound uh, because it's the here it is are profound since it would imply that our current understanding of pharmacology is an oversimplification that's right you can't just drug people and expect them to turn out right and uh, it it's it's time that we just change this does that make sense now i'm going to bring up okay because we know that according to public health reports 1999 dr lucian leap uh, the medical field is the third leading cause of death in America after heart disease and cancer. And that was in 1999. It's probably worse than that. Now, I've got a, I got a little um, cool article that I found at the Pharmacy Museum in New Orleans. Now, this is back when we had those big silver things that flew in the air. They were called planes. And we could travel interstate without government approval. This was way back when we had that constitution. You know, it's, it's, it was kind of cool. But it was Collier's uh, expose of the patent medicine fraud. And uh, you might have heard about Tylenol. Well, do you know where it came from? Okay, this is interesting because it was called acetaldehyde. And it was first introduced in medical practice in 1886. But it had an unacceptable toxic effect. The most alarming was cyanosis due to problems with the blood and ultimately liver and kidney damage. Now, there were several conflicting results over the next 50 years. It was established in 1948 that acetaldehyde was metabolized to perimansinol or acetaminophen in the body. Now, acetaldehyde is no longer used as a drug, um, although the metabolite of acetaminophen is well known. However, guess what the deadliest drug in America is? You got it, acetaminophen. I know, know. it's crazy. But but don't worry, the the population will wake up. Uh, They just came up. So remember, we have physical, chemical, and emotional stressors. The FDA Food and Drug Administration, September 24, 2020, released an overdue safety study on dental amalgams. That's right, you know, for over 100 and something years, uh, mercury or amalgams has been used as fillings in the teeth and they were shocked to find out that sure enough, all those health nuts that were saying that the amalgam fillings are dangerous, turns out that they actually are. So this can damage pregnant women, including their developing fetuses, nursing women, Um, infants and children under six, and people with neurologic diseases. So does that mean that the massive rise in autoimmune conditions and neurologic damage could be associated with the mercury in the fillings? Could be. At least the FDA is starting to wake up. We also know that the sodium guidelines, you know, the lower salt for blood pressure, it turns out that that's not true either. That higher salt rates I mean, here, here. let me explain. Uh, read this quote, and this is from Eric Topol, who is, actually, I like some of his writings. Uh, the American Heart Association, however, isn't backing off from its 1.5 grams of sodium guideline, but I think there's a big lesson here about guidelines without adequate evidence. They can do harm. Hopefully, this lesson will prove to be impactful, because that certainly has not been the case as in cholesterol, LDL, blood pressure, PSA, mammograms, and a very long list of poorly conceived non-anchored guidelines. Isn't it about time to recognize that there shouldn't be rules for populations? Some people are exquisitely sensitive to salt intake, while others are remarkably resistant. Average is over. Brilliant. Oh my gosh. And garlic instead of aspirin. Garlic may provide an ideal alternative to aspirin in arteriosclerosis prevention. Okay. Now let's look at cholesterol. Okay. If you have a doctor that says cholesterol clogs arteries, fire him. Okay. Cholesterol is vital to neurologic function. It forms um, formation of memory and the uptake of hormones. It, It it's the precursor to every glucocorticosteroid, mineralocorticosteroid, sex hormone. When cholesterol levels drop too low, the serotonin receptors can't work, so anxiety, stress, and when you look at hardening of the arteries, atherosclerotic placking. Okay, is that a problem of the arteries? Does does it just the fat collect? No, it connects um, the the. The formation of the plaquing forms underneath the layer. It doesn't form on the inside where the blood flows. So it actually is a protective mechanism. Okay, so you need um, some type of damage to the arteries, uh, and that's hugely important. Uh, so what damages the arteries? Then the body uh, lays down the plaquing in order to protect it. So what kind of stuff would, would cause it? Um, We know the British Medical Journal, way back in 1992, the cholesterol myth officially debunked. Conclusions, listen to this, quote, lowering serum cholesterol concentrations does not reduce mortality and is unlikely to prevent coronary heart disease. Claims of the opposite are based on preferential citation of supportive trials, absolutely. We know that cholesterol-lowering drugs Stimulate atherosclerotic hardening of the arteries and heart failure. Now, why would that be? Why would that be? Well, think about it. What is cholesterol? Cholesterol is the precursor, the precursor to all these different hormones, particularly ones that that um, are for inflammation, like cortisol. So, if you're decreasing that, knowing that inflammation is how the body repairs, huge. Here's another one. Um, review of 11 randomized controlled trials involving 65,000 participants in the Archives of Internal Medicine. Quote, this literature-based meta-analysis did not find evidence, any evidence for the benefit of statin therapy on all-cause mortality. Clinical Cardiology Journal, 2009. Statin therapy is associated with decreased heart function, myocardial function the Journal of Atherosclerosis in 2012, statin use is associated with an increased prevalence of coronary plaques and calcium. Increase in plaquing, Uh, the effects of statin drugs on muscle weakness and polyneuropathy. Half a million people studied in Denmark, people who took statins, were more likely to develop polyneuropathy. That means if you took a chemical, a drug that lowered your cholesterol you developed um, nervous system disorders, nerve problems. Um, And if you take statins for a year, the risk of nerve damage increased by about 15%. So what can you do to protect yourself and build yourself? Well, um, humans are programmed to be active. That means exercise prevents plaque development. And it actually uh, induces... Reversal of coronary stenosis. That means if you've got hardening of the arteries, you've got arteries that are starting to be clogged, exercise helps reverse it. In fact, exercise increases the formation of arteries, nerve regeneration, and even neurotransmitters. When you look at walking, just walking, um, you know, walking barefoot on the ground. Okay, um, and this is the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine. Grounding appears to be one of the simplest yet most profound interventions for helping reduce cardiovascular risk and cardiovascular events. Eating more fruits and vegetables. So so listen to this. How do you reduce high blood pressure and high cholesterol? You don't. Those are adaptations. So deep breathing before you take it, is that all you got to do? Yeah, look at the respirate thing. You don't need to buy the machine. Walking? Is that all you got to do? Yeah. Taking the blood pressure correctly? Yeah. Here's one out of the British Medical Journal. Eat more fruits and vegetables. Lower risk of all-cause mortality, particularly cardiovascular mortality. Here's the Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Among all fruits, berries have shown substantial cardioprotective effects and benefits due to their high polyphenol content. Nuts. Okay, <laughs> the coronary artery disease journal. Okay, higher nut consumption may reduce cardio, um, coronary heart disease. There is such a plethora of information out there. Realize that high blood pressure and high cholesterol are, are red flags, clues to a body that's under stress. Here's the bottom line. If you choose... To lower your blood pressure using a chemical, you increase the stress in the body. And, and I mean, that's, that's fact. You are not making the person healthier. Uh, so n- now I'm going to try and get away with some of the other um, parts because right now is when we're going to stop the live feed on, uh, on social media, which is going to be live on Facebook tonight and YouTube, um, as long as they keep us on. So I'm gonna give you a glimpse into what we're gonna be talking about in, in the Dr. B VIP and the Extreme Health Academy on the censored version. Uh, here we go, okay. In Tel Aviv, okay, and this is uh, in Israel, they are now forcing their entire population to be vaccinated. We are seeing a huge number, and there's going to be some major changes, like passports. The British are thinking about having a passport so that you can get back to normal Now, this is an experimental use vaccine. Remember it is not approved um, by the fda it's approved for emergency use only um, now i 'm getting hope because i've just i've found this article. And this was printed up just a few days ago. You know, the title of the article might not make a lot of sense, but, but let me read it. it. Quote, studies showing masks aren't harmful and may do more harm than good. Okay, yeah, let me read that again. Studies showing masks aren't harmful may do more harm than good. I know it doesn't make sense, but let's, let's look into that. So what they did, he's reviewing this one study that studied 25 people from a retirement condominium and recorded their saturation levels, oxygen saturation levels, uh, after wearing a three-labor disposable mask. Okay, now, (laughs) the authors concluded that mask wearing was not harmful. You can see that that's a ridiculous test. Okay, you're looking at the at the pressure of oxygen. You know they got a clip on their finger. They're rebreathing in this. What's the psychological harm? What's the physiologic harm? Rebreathing in their carbon dioxide does it strengthen their immune system or weaken their immune system? I mean, it's a BS study. So the author goes on to state, I uh, describe this as a howler study that worsens our science our trust problem and demeans an important journal. While I regret suggesting that no one thinks that masks are hazardous, I stand by my original take that uh, publishing dubious COVID 19 papers is counterproductive and persuades no one, demeans the mission of medical journals, and potentially harmful to the progression of science. He goes on to state, Any rational person understands that masks are not dangerous. A mask is dehumanizing and uncomfortable. It may create a sense of increased work when breathing during exertion, but a mask is not hazardous. Uh, Irrational people will not be convinced by a research letter in any journal. A person holds an irrational mask concern. uh, It was shown the study could say, what about the CO2? Then you'd have to do another study on blood glasses. And if that was negative, an irrational person may say a mask causes arrhythmias. Then you do a study with ECG monitors. Irrational people can make claims about masks. The quest to disprove them is foolish. Okay, now, I, again, I love the way he says irrational people, irrational people. Well, what makes you rational, that you're going to submit and put a mask on, even though he says that that the mask is dehumanizing and uncomfortable? Okay, let's go on. The rationale for masks isn't empiricism, but the precautionary principle. What's worrying is that people can't seem to act solely on precautionary principle. Weak studies only intensify the debate. Then he goes on to state loss of trust in science if if you have think of this if you have a loss in trust of science today is that valid absolutely you got the you've got the entire world's economy shut down a year ago okay because of a cold that's no worse than the flu then we've gone through all of 2020 we know the death results the death rates in there do not indicate a pandemic. There is not an an increase in the overall death rates. And in fact, knowing that the death rates from 2014 to 15, 15 to 16, 16 to 17, every year it's gone up about one2 to 1.3% because baby boomers are aging. Last year it was 1.2%. So it was the lowest increase ever in the last eight years. It's time that we take our health back. Now, I'm gonna go over into a lot more of the journal articles, a lot more science and data, and we're gonna talk about gloves and the and the vaccine, and I mean, just everything. So you can take your world back using this data. So please, get on our um, website, get a hold of this information, Share it as much as you can. Realize that if you do share this in our socialist uh, environment now, I think that's why they call it socialist media, um, you may get blocked for sharing um, articles from Medscape and CDC, but we've got to do this to change the world. Dr. John Bergman, God bless you. I love you. You are part of the resistance. We are going to get our world back.